You know when you're trying to read the room? <laughs> you ever done that? You ever tried to read, read a room? Uh, I'm just, I just want to pick where we're going this morning. I just want to slow down. Just Now you're all worried. You're like, don't look at me. It's like he's... Sorry, I'll stop. I, I want it this morning... I guess I just want to, to recap. My, my goal at the moment every week is to, to try and bring something that is going to help you navigate your waters, right? And sometimes that's through bringing a new revelation. Sometimes that's through, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very easy, I tell you. It's not hard at all trying to work out what you're going to speak on each Sunday. Hey, Sam, very, super, super simple. Um, so sometimes it's about a new revelation or a new teaching or a new understanding. Sometimes it's simply about bringing your attention to something that you always knew to be true, but you kind of forgot about, right? Do you ever, do you ever find that, that it's really easy to forget good truth? Yeah, it's really easy to forget good truth. Simple truth. I've said this before. Like, how many of you have ever pushed on a door that said pull, right? Simple things. And places that you go to regularly, that, that you, you go, I know that I walk in this door every, and every time I do the wrong thing. Why? Because simple truth can be easily forgotten. And especially when, you know, but have you also noticed how easy it is to remember lies? Lies of the enemy. Like, it's really hard to remember that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, but it's really easy for me to remember the lie that I'm worthless and useless and I'll never amount to anything. Right? Why do we struggle so much to remember one of those, which is true, but the other one that we play on a tape is the one that's false? Right? So kind of what I've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks and what I want to do again this morning uh, is, is try and give you some tools to take you back to what's always been true and what you've always known has been true. But a bit like that, push on the door. Do you know why we tend to forget to push on a door instead of pull on the door? Because we're in a rush. Because we're in a rush. And so when we're in a hurry or when we feel anxious or when we feel whatever, uh, you know, that's when we start to forget those simple truths. And if you can stop, I posted one on Facebook this week. Um, and I, I got a, again, I'm not in it for the likes or the comments, but I had a number of people and I had people private message me and go, that's a crazy thought. And the thought was super simple, and it was this. Someone once told me, if you can imagine the worst-case scenario, then you are also capable of imagining the best. And that changed me, because I'm a natural, like, I, I know... Like, I know I'm super enthusiastic a lot of the time, and I know that I live at, like, 110 miles per hour, like, and it can be hard to keep up with, and, and so on and so forth. But I'm naturally a pessimistic person. But I'm called to be filled with the hope of the Holy Spirit. And so that challenge went to me. And so I'll catch myself now thinking negatively. And, and then I'll go, well, hang on. Because I'll actually go, well, what's, what, how bad could it be? You, know, you ever have that moment where you go, man, if I get up on stage or if I, if, I, if I make that phone call or if I talk to that person, imagine what could happen. It could be, it could be disaster. It could be whatever. And I learned to catch myself and go, stop. What's the best thing that could happen? 
What's the best thing that could happen? Well, the best thing that could happen, and I'll tell you what, the best thing that could happen always outweighs the worst thing that could happen. And that's, uh, Ross Banbury would talk to you about the principles of good decision making. Whereas you weigh out what's the best thing, what's the worst thing that could happen? And how bad would it really be? And how good could it really be? And so simply, again, I just want to give you some things that have always been true. And in fact, you probably know them. But I want to draw your attention to them this morning. I felt that God, the word that I felt God has given me for this season was raise up Daniels. Raise up Daniels. And, and um, one of the reasons uh, that we've been, and so as part of that, we've been in the book of Daniel. We've been looking at what Daniel looks like, how he behaved, what he did. Uh, and we've had this big focus on these two words, prominence or influence, Yeah. And we've decided as a church and we've decided as a people that we want to be influential Christians, not prominent Christians. We're not worried about protecting our prominence because God does not need a pedestal to glorify his name. In fact, we looked at when we, so we looked at Daniel who served under four different uh, worldly kings under two different empires and found influence with his God in every single one of them, despite the fact that he was in the enemy camp. And then we looked at how the response of that, we read into Ezra, we read into Nehemiah, and we looked at how Daniel paved the way for the return from exile by choosing influence over prominence. Where Nebuchadnezzar chose prominence, he lost it. Again, I'm just recapping. If you want to hear these in all their detail with verses, you need to go back and listen to the podcast. But every, and we looked at, as we looked through Ezra and the different times under, I, I can't even remember their names anymore, Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, every time the church chose prominence, the work of God was held up. But every time the church chose influence, the work of God increased, right? And so you can go back and you can listen to those sermons. Um, because right now, so, so this is what I want to touch on. Because I believe as a church, we, dis, we have decided, I've heard lots of yes and amens. I've had lots of feedback over the last couple of weeks. Of course, we didn't meet last week. Uh, as I said, I hope it was the overreaction. So far, that seems to be true. Amen. Uh, but I've had lots of feedback going, yes, I want to be an influential Christian, not a prominent Christian. I've heard a lot of that. But how easy it is to forget truth when we're suddenly confronted with a stressful situation. And so I've heard, and I've, like, look, I'll be honest, I've even engaged in this myself at one time where I've gone, I have made a decision that I'm going to be an influential Christian, not a prominent Christian, and then I get into a place and it's really easy for me to default for fighting for my prominence, the prominence of my faith, right? But again, if we look at the life of Jesus, he just didn't do it. He just wasn't that worried about it. He said crazy things like the Son of Man has not come to be served but to serve. He, he did crazy things like gave up his equality with God in heaven to come. It says, and uh, yep, I didn't save that reference this morning. Uh, Sam will be able to tell you after the service. It says, who being in very nature God, that's Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but gave it up and came into our world, taking on the nature of a servant. Jesus stood before Pilate. He stood before Herod. He stood before people who wanted him dead. And every single time played the influence so well that even Pilate, and I, I will never get tired of this story, because Pilate, the tyrant, like that was his nickname. He loved any excuse for a good flogging, a good beating, or a good crucifixion. He comes out after having a conversation with Jesus and goes, I like this one. 
and I'm going to wash my hands here because I, pilot the tyrant, am going to have an issue of conscience if I hurt this man. I want the same to be said about the church. I want the church to behave in such a way where it's not concerned about its prominence, where it's not fearful about what it might lose, but knows what it already has in the name of Jesus, and therefore lets that take them not on a high road, but on a low road, right? Because we can read scriptures that say those who are for us are more than those who are against us, and that we're the head and not the tail, and all of those things can motivate us into a place of superiority, right? And prominence. And yet Jesus, who had all of that, let it motivate him into servitude and submission and humility. And he changed atmospheres. He changed the world because of it. But if I can bore you with a little bit of history, some of you love history, some of you don't like it. I'm not even into this yet. I'm not sure where we're going. It'll come. See, Christianity had its roots in a Roman-occupied Jerusalem, right? Yeah, we know this because there's all this stuff going on. There's Pilate, who's a representative of Caesar. And so, and, and so Jesus comes out, and Christianity is born out of this, this branch off of the Jewish faith. And what we need to understand is that in, in the establishing days, when you read the book of Acts, right, and so we've got the early church, we've got the apostles, we've got the, the disciples who were once fearful, scared, like, except for Peter who kind of thought he was all that and a slice of bread until he was challenged. And then suddenly they receive power of the Holy Spirit and they move throughout Jerusalem and into Samaria and into the ends of the earth. And here's what we know about Christianity in that time. Christians, the, so the Jews and the Romans, they didn't like each other very much, right? We can Because the Romans had come in and they were oppressing their land. So the Jews didn't like Romans. But the one thing that the Jews and the Romans could agree on is we don't like these Christians more. And so you had the two most powerful political influences of the day saying they have to go. And what happened? The Bible says God added to their number daily those who were being saved as they devoted themselves. Fast forward, we start to get into this whole thing about Rome and ratty, ratty, rah. This guy called Constantine comes along. He has a vision of, 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 of God and knows that God's real. And so he says, I'm going to do something crazy. This is from Rome now. He goes, I am going to make Christianity legal. It's okay. They don't have to hide anymore. And the first thing that Christianity does as it comes out of hiding is goes... We don't have to move anymore. We can build big buildings. We can establish ourselves. We can become prominent again. And in fact, in Rome, the church became so prominent that Catholicism became known as Roman Catholicism. And the church grew in prominence and prominence. And as it got more and more prominent, what happened? It stopped moving, it stopped growing. It started to become the very oppressive force that it said it would never become. So again, my challenge to us as the church is do we want to be prominent or do we want to be influential? Because eventually this guy called Martin Luther comes along, not Martin Luther King, he was much later. Martin Luther, in fact, I read a great one. That, was it 1517? 1517. 1517 Martin Luther came along. Interestingly, coffee was introduced in Europe in 1515. 
So you give a pastor a little bit of caffeine, and he goes, I can change the world. And so Martin Luther comes along two years after coffee and goes, hang on a minute. We can't do this anymore. We've become too prominent. We've become something we're not. This isn't what Jesus called us to. And so he goes on this whole thing. I have said it before. I will say it again. I believe the church needs another reformation. I believe we need someone else. In fact, I don't believe it's about one person. I believe it's about a collective people. I hope that this church could be part of that collective that says we need a better reformation. We need to stop worrying about prominence and start pursuing influence. We need to stop worrying about establishing ourselves and start worrying about actually changing the people around us, benefiting, serving, loving the people around us, yeah? And with that, let me try and... (laughs) Yeah, no, I can totally do it. I see where I'm going now. It's always nice when I know what's happening. Because it's really hard at the moment, right? Um, let me tell you a story. A story that we'll all relate to in, in some way, shape, or form. It's a, it's a metaphor that someone once told me about how often in life there's three things that we, that we strive for. Time, money, and energy. And one of the weird sort of paradoxes of life is that when you're young and you've got all of the energy... It's usually the time that you don't have a lot of the money, right? Where are my young adults in the room who go, I'd love to travel, but if I check my bank balance at the moment, I would make it to Seddon. Seddon. We're going to ho- for a holiday in Seddon. That's where we're going. That's what we're doing. And then later on, you get to the space. Mike will be able to tell you. In fact, no, Mike is like, he bucks the trend, right? So, you know, you get to a certain age where you go, oh, right, okay. Well, my kids have moved out, and this has happened, and I'm retiring. And, and I, so I've got, I've got all this extra time now. And if I've been good and I've been a good steward, I've got all this extra money now. But wouldn't it just be easier to stay home? <laughs> like, really? I've got to put the car in. I've got to pack. I've got to do the whatever. I've got all the time in the world. I've got all the resources in the world, and I've got none of the energy anymore. Anyone relate? You feel like you fit in any one of those categories somewhere where you've got two out of three, and if you could get number three, life would be easy. But so... I want to talk about when you first become a Christian. I want to talk about that zeal that comes in. Do you remember the day that you first gave your life to Jesus? Yeah. Do you remember that passion? Do you remember how you were going to like change the world for God? Do you remember that, that excitement that brewed in you where you felt like you discovered something that no one else had ever discovered before? And then as you got more and more passionate about it and you got more involved in church and there were people around you who had been saved and been Christians for that much longer than you, you went, hang on, you've got this too. Why are you not excited about it? Right? Because you're like full of zeal. You're full of passion. You're like, we've got to go out and do something. We, gotta go, we should build something. We should have a fundraiser. We should whatever. And, and, and so you've got all this zeal, and, and, but you've got none of the tact. Right? Anyone here ever said something as a young Christian that you look back on and go, help me, Jesus. Just, what was I thinking, right? I, like, I have this kind of routine every day on my Facebook feed. Uh, forgive me for using social media so much in my sermon. Uh, that you should probably add that uh, to your bingo thing. Uh, Aaron down here started Pastor Bingo. Uh, there's a series of things that if I mention in my sermon, Star Wars being one, food being another, and he just starts it. So if you ever hear Aaron yell bingo, um, <laughs> we've hit the holy grail. We've, we've hit them all. So I don't know if he's got cards, but if you want some, he might be able to hand them out. I'm, personally, I'm all for the game. I'm, I reckon it could be fun. 
back on the, on the gravy train. I have this habit on Facebook, on social media. Every day, I, I open up my Facebook memories because it shows you on this day, these are the things you said three years ago, four years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago. And so I have this routine where I just open it up. I feel a deep sense of shame of things that I said eight years ago, and then I delete them so no one ever sees them again. You, you know, you put these things up, and they were zealous, right? They were passionate. They were after Jesus. And you read them now, and you go, what was I thinking? Why did I think saying that would make people love him as much as I do? Why, why, did I, why would I think that doing that would draw people? But then what starts to happen? So we start, our, we start our faith with all this zeal and none of the tact. But as we go on, we get all of this tact. We get all of this strategy, and we start to lose the zeal. Yeah? Am I preaching to my people here this morning? Yeah. And we start to, we start, but then we get so much tact and so much strategy and so little zeal that our strategy just becomes, if I don't say anything, no one can be offended. <laughs> if I just, like if I just never offer to pray for someone again, like, and we go, I'm just, I'm just being strategic. I'm just being tactful. But we've got tact with no zeal. A bit like we've got money with no time or time with no money. The pursuit of the influential church is a church that is both full of zeal and full of strategy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'll try over here, my people. It's a church that is full of passion and strategy. Thank you. Goodness me. I was like, you know. I just want to know that I'm not alone, you know. It's... Timing, yeah. Do you know, do you know what the, um, the most important thing about humour is? It's, it's timing. It's timing. So bad. Remember when we said we're all tired and we're going to go easy on each other? So, so we're in this confusing time. We're in this time where at the church, we're, like, we see the zealous Christians, right? And we go, oh, please, no, stop. There's no shortage of zealous Christians right at the moment. But you look at them and go, some strategy would help, right? Yeah. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to do two things. If I could do two things in the church, I, this is what I would. One, I want to put a fire under you. That's why I'm goading you a little bit this morning. I know we're tired, but I want you to rediscover your zeal. I want you to know that the God that you serve is bigger than anything you face. I want you to know that he is capable of more than we think, ask, or imagine. In fact, the Bible says exceedingly more than we can think, ask, or imagine. And I will preach that and I will hammer that as much as I can because we need to get our zeal back. But I will also go, we need to learn some strategy. We need to continue to be strategic. We need to come back to some things that we knew were true all the time. And so within that, let's look at some scriptures finally. Let's open some scriptures. I just, I just want to read these to you. Really. I might make a couple of observations at the beginning and the end. But really, I just want to read to you what I've been reading at the moment and see if it challenges you in the same way that I've been, it challenges me. The Bible is a paradox. And it's a paradox on purpose. Chris Fallerton says it this way, the Bible is deliberately written in paradox so that you cannot live by the Bible alone, by principle alone, should I say, but only by the prince. When you fall in love with the Bible, and one of the, I got the greatest text I could ever dream of uh, about two weeks ago where someone said to me, hey, I, I, like, 
I've reopened my Bible for the first time in a long time this week because I've watched how much you love Scripture and it's made me love Scripture and I want to read it and I want to dig into it. And I go, that's what I'm here for. But only because I believe when you really fall in love with Scripture, it will make you fall in love with Jesus. If you fall in love with the Bible and never fall in love with the author, I'm not interested. Right? And that's why I love looking at these. Let's go. I want to start. Which one did I give you first? Did we go Galatians? Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. And let's go verses 6 to 10. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's real hot in here. Could we maybe a house manager or someone turn on an aircon before I pass out? That'd be great. Love you, Arman. All right. This is Paul writing to a church who started full of zeal. Galatians was written to a church that was full of passion, full of zeal, and then got passionate about the wrong things again. And this is what he says to them. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ, because truth is easy to forget. Let God's curse fall on anyone. How many know Paul was an encouraging pastor, right? Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again that we have what we have said before. If anyone preaches any good news other than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, this, this is the line I want you to get. Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, I want you to leave that on the screen for a moment, Bo. Because I guarantee you've heard this somewhere in the last couple of weeks. I guarantee you've heard that quote used somewhere. I'm not out here to make friends. I'm not here. I don't want, I'm not worried about pleasing people. I'm just here to please God. That's all I'm interested in. That's all I'm worried about. Anyone heard that this week? Anyone said that this week? Right? And I immediately, so this is Paul writing to the church of Galatians about the gospel, saying, when it comes to the gospel, I am only interested in pleasing God. I don't give a rat's about pleasing other people. So let's watch what Paul says. Same Paul, the very same Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. And Paul says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. If we go back to, can we go back one verse to verse 22? When I'm with those who are weak, uh, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to the Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. The NIV says, I do everything I can to please others. 
so that I might bring some to Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Was Paul anointed by the Holy Spirit? Right. So Paul wasn't crazy. He wasn't divided. But here we see a man who, in his wisdom, made a statement where he goes, I am only interested in pleasing God and not, I don't care about men. And then the same guy goes, oh, by the way, I do everything I can to please people. And you go, Paul, that's very confusing advice. Right? This is the paradox of our faith. And this is why you can't live by this alone. Because if you just took this Bible and I'm just going to live by what's written, you go, well, that's contradicting. It's on purpose. Because it means that the only way we're going to learn how to apply that is by knowing the wisdom of Jesus, by knowing the person of Jesus, by being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? Cool. So, no doubt you feel like you're a little bit caught, at least in some conversations at the moment, right? Between, like you're trying to please everybody and no one's happy. Or you're pleasing these people and those people are really unhappy. And you get caught up or you go, I'm just doing what God's told me to do. And everybody's going, I'm not sure how I... You all right? Right? Like you've ever just... In the last couple of weeks, have you just wanted to put your hand on someone's shoulder and go like, are you okay? Have you wanted someone to put their hand on your shoulder and just go like, are, are you all right? I want to continue to explore these paradoxes because this is just what I've been reading. You know, I'm, I'm in this space where I'm like, we've got to live in this world that we're in at the moment. Why don't you jump to Romans chapter 14 with me? Romans chapter 14. I've got them all up on the screen. Um, but there is nothing quite like reading them out of the analog version. I'm going to go this one. Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to read from... What do I give you? Let's just go. Let's just see where we go. It says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them for what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. You can change these words for whatever you like. I'm just going to let you work it out, right? Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some people think one day is more holy than another day, while other people think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do it to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods and refuse to put certain things in their body do so to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. I want you to remember that line. We do not live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise 
to God. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Those are challenging words for the season that we are in. I don't care what side of the coin you sit on, on what side of the debate, on what side of whatever matter debate it is. It's about seven that you could engage in at the moment. There's no shortage of things to fight about. But Paul says we should live in such a way that does not cause one another to stumble. At the beginning of this, and, and I, I really should have gone from the NIV because it says it like, the NLT really pulls its punches. It tries to be nice. Um, the NIV, I love it. I, it, it says, look, because it, it's kind of controversial in Paul's sense because he goes, look, if you eat meat because God has made it clean, but someone else eats, meat, eats vegetables because they're a weaker person, I'm kind of taking a side here, Paul. Because he basically says that it's the weak in faith who say that meat is still unclean because God's made it clean. But he also says, if it upsets somebody, don't eat meat in front of them. Don't try and make them eat meat. Right? <laughs> Let's contrast this. Let's go back to our friend Daniel, eh? Let's go back to our friend Daniel. I like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel. Anyone else want to be like Daniel? Here's Daniel chapter 1. Now, this is in a different time. We're going back a fair way now, a couple of hundred years, to a different time where the rules were different for the Jewish people. But in particular, this one is different because this is the tension that Daniel finds himself in, right? Daniel finds himself, and if you read on, you'll find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in the same predicament. They're in Babylon. They're being asked to do something that they, they, they feel contradicts the word of God. And so they have to work out, how do we navigate that in such a way that we are still respectful? Now, I want to be clear. I'm not... Like I want to be very, I'm deliberately speaking vaguely because I'm not taking a side on this because that would be the quickest way for me to empty half of this church, right? What I'm saying is that no matter what, no matter what your zeal is, no matter what, as Paul talks about, no matter what your conviction is, can you please bring it to the word of God and apply it in a way that is pleasing to the Holy Spirit, in a way that is influential and not prominent? Because when we get on our, when we start putting these posts up or these whatever up, it doesn't help doesn't help. Because watch what Daniel does. So Daniel's in this predicament. Let's just read from verse 3 to 16. So this is right back when Daniel's first exiled. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. He said, oh, two out of three. Uh, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. That was very generous of him. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. We can skip through this. Let's go to the next one. They gave them some names. Uh, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Well, hang on, what? He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. 
let's pause. No, no, let's pause there. God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. I guarantee that that was to do with how Daniel conducted himself in the presence of the king. I guarantee it. Next verse. But he responded, I am afraid of the Lord, my, my Lord the king, who was ordered that you eat his food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. It's a reasonable fear. Like, you know. I mean, he'd proven experience in this before. Daniel spoke with the, with, with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. In other words, I don't want to eat meat. Now, what did Paul say about that? Did Paul just call Daniel weak in faith? I don't think so. You, again, you'll have to do your own homework on that. The point is, there's paradox all throughout the Bible. It's very hard to say this is the only way to make this particular decision. There's, there's one way, and that's Jesus. And that's why Paul says, I'm only interested in pleasing God when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to, was Jesus born? Did he live? Did he die? Was he crucified on a cross? Did he rise again? Has he forgiven us from our sins? There's only, I won't argue another alternative to that. And I don't, I don't care if I upset people over that. But everything else, like Paul, I'm going, how do I influence? How do I, win? How do I please people that I might win some to Jesus? Because that is the call of the church in the current season. You are called, regardless of what happens right now, to lead people to Jesus. And one of the ways that you have to do that is by being not only zealous but strategic. And being careful. And so Daniel here, in this case, he has a conviction. Right? He has a conviction. It's not my place to say whether it's a right conviction or a wrong conviction. What I want you to observe is how he goes about it. He doesn't... Oh... Forgive me, Jesus, for the people that I'm about to offend. <laughs> Here's what Daniel does. He doesn't go, I'm not putting that food in my body. Right? That's not what he says. He doesn't go, there's no research done on this food. He doesn't say, <laughs> I'll leave it. You, you got it. You got it. There's no point rubbing salt in the wound at this point. <laughs> Here's what he says. Go back one more for me. <laughs> Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff, and he says, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. He doesn't take power. He doesn't fight prominence. He says, let's see what God does. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends look healthier and better nourished than the young men who have been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine he provided for the others. Now again, I'm not trying to pick a side. I just want you to notice what Daniel did and how he did it. Because that's what's important. What I also want you to notice is that later on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do the same thing about bowing before the statue. And King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, if you don't do that, you're going to be thrown in the fire. And they go, okay. And then they get thrown in the fire and they don't complain about it. Because their faith is in God, not in anything else. But I want to immediately contrast this. I just, I, like, can I just throw the cat among the pigeons? I just want to have you all so confused by the end of the you go, okay, I have to pray to Jesus. Because now I want you to go to Romans chapter 13. You go, I think I deleted my entire sermon notes just now in my passionate excitement. Let's go, to, let's go to Romans chapter 13. 
I'm just imagining my inbox over the next seven days. It's fine. This is Paul writing to the Romans. This is Paul who knows that there is a balance between pleasing God over people, but also pleasing people to lead them to God. And he writes this to the Christians in Rome. And can I, again, I've touched on this already. We're in an unprecedented time. It's confusing. But if you read some church history and you read some, just some world history, we're doing okay, right? No one's been asked to sacrifice their children. No, no one's been asked to, like, you know, tattoo something on your forehead, or, or, or right? No one. Just perspective-wise, we're in we're in a great place in history. Yeah. I want. It's important that we know that. It's important that we have some context. Because Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and at that time, the person... So, so let's start here. Let's, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Pause. Now, when we read that scripture, we assume that probably the rulers that he was trying to get them to submit to were good people. And it's different. You know, we love to have this, we love to put this in here where we go, everyone must submit to the governing authorities unless we disagree with the political policies and then we can say them, right? Do you know who was Caesar at this point? Nero. Nero, who modern scholars agree were probably revelations fulfillment of 666, the mark of the beast. Because Caesar Nero's Hebrew name added up to the number 666. So we're sitting... Hey, so, so here's the guy, you know, you, you want to get into this whole, is, is this the Antichrist? Is this the Antichrist? They're sitting under the rule of the person who was probably the fulfillment of what Revelation is talking about. And Paul goes, submit to that. So now I've just offended everybody in the room. <laughs> Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God, including Nero is the implication of that verse. See love. Move on. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. <laughs> for, I'm just reading the scripture. These are his words, not mine. Uh, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, doing right but in who, those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without the fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. May I just, are you all right? Just put your hand on your neighbor and go, it's okay. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. We're still talking about... Nero. Uh, but if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Now, uh, so you must submit to the... He's really trying to hammer a point home here, right? We, we get it. So, let me stop. Let me gather you all in. And let me tell you what I want you to take out of this sermon. Because right now, if you come in with an idea of like, I think he's trying to tell me this, or I think he's trying to tell me that, you'll get the completely wrong end of the stick. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Life is hard. Right? One of the things that we hold especially distinctive as Baptists is individual's ability to hear the mind of Christ. But that individual ability to hear the mind of Christ is not about my soul ability. It's about the, it's the community's ability. That when I sit with Sam and when, when I sit with Jocelyn and I sit, 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 so I've got to sit with Aaron or, you know, I go, and I could sit with a number of different people in the room, together we find the mind of Christ. Which means things that I go, I think God's saying this. And they go, well, I think God's saying this. And you go, well, they can't both be right. 
So let's talk. We live in a confusing time where people right now in the church, in this room, I'm not going to go around, I'm not going to, but in this room, we hold deeply, deep convictions about opposing things. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. What I'm trying to talk about is that Paul, and what we've just read in those scriptures, you might like to reflect on them in your own time, gives us some very important things about how we do that. Whether you eat meat, whether you're a vegetarian, whether you voted this way or voted that way, whether you've been vaccinated, whether you haven't been vaccinated. Oh my gosh, I said the words. Can you say those words? I don't know if you can say the words. <laughs> whether you have, whether you prefer cats or dogs. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to live in a way that doesn't cause one another to stumble and causes us to find favor and influence with the people that we serve. And right now, and I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit like I've got my dad voice on. Sorry. Turned 30 this year. <laughs> bought, a, bought a subscription to a, to a um, documentary channel. I'm that kind of old now. Um, <laughs> that's right. See, we can laugh together. It's good. We're, we're all still on the same page. Have I told you about putting things on the screen behind me that I can't see, Mr. Bowen? <laughs> I come back to this. We have more that unites us than what divides us. There are more things that we have in common than we have apart. And we have to lean into that in this season. And I don't just mean in this room. I mean with people you passionately disagree with. I, I, I'm just going to... This is my last sermon. I love you all dearly. Uh, you have more in common with the Prime Minister than you do in difference. Made in the name of Jesus. I want you to, I want you to do something crazy. I want you to start praying for some people. Because here's what I know. I tried this. I had a teacher that I really didn't like in high school. I had a teacher that I really didn't like in high school. Anyone have a teacher in high school they really didn't like? If they're in the room, don't point at them. We've got high school teachers in the room. <laughs> and here's what I started doing. I started praying for them. You know the crazy thing that happens when you start praying for people? You start to become interested in their success. You know what happens when you become interested in someone's success? You start to talk about them differently. You start to behave differently. You start to act differently. After the service. We can, we, we can do it after the service, brother. If we should pray for our Prime Minister? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. We can do it before we finish. But here's what I want you to do. Like, I, I knew when I came here this morning, I, I knew I was nailing some things to the mast. But here's what I want us to know. Here's what I want us to know. That God has a plan 
that he's working and that wherever you sit, you have a responsibility to him to steward that well in a way that is influential and not prominent. Can we all agree on that? Can we all stand here this morning? I want you to turn your attention towards Jesus for a moment. Mighty God. You are the author of peace. You are not the author of confusion. And Lord, this morning, we're in a time where we have to walk carefully. And Lord, we want to choose the path of influence and not the path of prominence. We pray that that would be the mark of this church. That this, this, this would be the mark of your people who walk in such a way that earn favor, that speak love, that speak peace, and that the name of Jesus would be lifted up in this place. Lord, you call us to pray for those who are in authority. Amen. Amen. And so, Lord, this morning, we pray for our government. Yes. The ones we like, the ones we agree with, and the ones we disagree with. Lord, we acknowledge that there is all sorts of things that go on in our spirit. But Lord, we pray that in this time, we would lean not into our own spirit, but into your spirit. That we would be led by your way, which leads you and led you not to take the high road, but to take the low road. And so Lord, we pray for those who have to make decisions. We pray for those in this room. Actually, Lord, that's where I want to end our prayer here this morning. For those in this room regardless of anything, that the name of Jesus, that the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of God would be our focus and would be our striving. And, would, and Lord, that you would lead us, diverse people that we are, different people that we are, into the unity that really matters in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to close because I can read the room. <laughs> but I want you to go and I want you to pray. I want you to chew. I want you to read those verses.